Hello and welcome to Pod Rocket. Today I'm here with Fernando Rojo, who's the co-founder and CTO of BeatGig and the creator of Solito. How are you doing, Fernando? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on the show and um, you know, hear about some of the projects you've worked on. I think in addition to the two I mentioned, we may even talk about some of the other things you've worked on before because you've you've done a lot in the in the React Native space. Um, but maybe f- I guess, would you prefer to talk about BeatGig first or Solito? Um, or h- how do you want to kind of tell your story and talk about some of the things you've worked on? Maybe I can introduce how I got into React Native and uh, BeatGig and how I ended up at, at Solito. So I, I first went through YC a few years ago. And I was building my first React Native app then. We were building a social network. So that was just for an actual iOS app. And so that was my first venture into React Native. I'd only used JavaScript before then. That company ended up not working out. And so then my co-founder and I, with a few other people, started working on BeatGig. And the challenge there was we needed to build a website and an app. And React Native was sort of in this early days of having web support too. And so as we started building that company, I decided I'm going to make a big investment in trying to have a cross-platform stack, keep our engineering team very nimble. And what I learned over the last you know year and a half building that product is that the hardest part of sharing code with an app and a website is navigation code because the patterns are very, very different. Code aside, just the mental model of using the same code on an app and a website has just a lot of inconsistencies. And so that kind of began my journey of working on what became Solito. And it's something I've been thinking about for the past you know year and a half kind of on accident. I, I didn't expect it to take so long. And so recently I, I released that as its own library. Awesome. And, and just for folks who are not as, as familiar with mobile dev and mostly, um, you know, a lot of our audience is web dev, like what is navigation? I mean, navigation on mobile, obviously going between different screens, different parts of the yeah. app, but like, what are some of the difficulties there? How, how does it differ from the way you think about doing navigation in a web app? An easy way to think about it is on web, you have this really nice API, which is the address bar at the top of your browser. And that acts as the majority of your state for what would be your navigation. And in this case, navigation is just where are you in a page? And then you have events that trigger you to change from one to another. So web is very flat. You're typically on one page at a time. You go somewhere else. So let's say you're on the home screen and you go to search. The home screen completely unmounts. And then you open the search screen. And there are two kind of distinct components in in React terms that are never alive at the same time. Now consider the alternative in the native app. Imagine you're on Spotify's iPhone app, and at the bottom they have these tabs. And you're on the home screen, and maybe on the home screen you open an album. So then inside of the home screen you get this tab, this stack animation that comes in on top. And then let's say you switch tabs to the search to the right. So now you have two tabs that are both alive, and if you go back to home, it actually is preserving its entire state. So already there we see that web has a very flat, simple navigation pattern that is almost entirely described by the URL. Whereas on native apps, iOS and Android, you have these complex, basically completely undefined states that have nested states. You preserve the state of the previous screen you were at. There are many other considerations to have in mind. Got it. And some of that I do think, especially in today's age of SPAs on the web, you do have some of those concerns and like you you can have state of navigation in the app that's not necessarily reflected in the URL. Definitely. And 
oftentimes uh, developers sometimes can get flack if they do too much that's not kind of leveraging the native paradigms of the web. But um, on native, you know, definitely a lot of additional complications. So tell me a bit about how Solito solves the problem or, or helps make it easier for developers. So plainly, Solito is a library that lets you use the same code in a React website, specifically a Next.js website, and in a React native app. So the way it works is under the hood, it's using Next.js's Next router. And on iPhone and Android, it's using React native code, which is from the library React Navigation. So plainly, it looks like you're writing Next.js code. So if you've ever used React Router or Next Router, you know, they all have link components. It's very kind of common on web. You have this link component. And so what we did is I, I kind of took that same API that you get on web and really just brought it to native and made it work on both. It's I basically just I copied everything that Next.js allows you to do with routing now, but provided a way to use that on native. And now that we can use the same API on both, we can actually just use the same library. So the way it works is you have a link component, you pass it the screen you want to go to, and under the hood, Solito says, okay, I'm going to find which platform you're on. So if you're on web, I'm just going to use Nextcode. If you're on iOS, I'm going to use this React Native code. Based on the URL you give me, I'll figure out which screen you want to go to, and I'll get you there. And and that's that that's everything. That's everything that happens under the hood. Got it. And. What is for folks who haven't used um, React Native? Like, what are the other kind of ways you could do navigation or routing if you, if you weren't using something like Solito? Yeah, so there there are a number of popular libraries for navigation on React Native, and they typically seem to follow a bit more of the actual iOS and Android paradigm. So. Like I said before, on web, you have this really convenient thing that's the URL, which doesn't encapsulate your whole state, but it lets you get where you want to be. On native, there's no such concept. So typically on a native app, you have a function called navigate. And what you do is you can pass it a screen name and then some parameters. So instead of using query parameters, you're actually passing just a you know an object that's, for example, I might want to go to the artist screen and I could pass it an artist ID parameter. The thing is, it's a lot more complicated than that as you scale an app because you'll have tabs at the bottom, you'll have stacks inside of it, you'll have modals that pop up on top, all these nested paradigms. And so sometimes you'll say, all right, I want to go to the artists tab and I want to open an artist profile in there, but then I want to open the edit screen of that profile. So you need to kind of traverse this nested set. So what you would do is you would do call the navigate function. The first argument would be the artist tab. And then you'd write inside and then take me to the nested screen that is, you know, based on the screen name, artist name, or edit artist. So a lot of that is just uh, a fully different API. And I find it very difficult to scale. What's nice about URLs in general is they have this sort of strict contract that's fixed in time. Over time, if you enter this URL, you know, you go to slash project slash Solito, you'll always get kind of a project. And it forces teams and companies in general to really respect this URL because users will always rely on it. Whereas in a native app, you just have these screen names that might change, you know, might start as dashboard and change to home. And it's just hard to know what to name things. But I find that URLs provide a very just linear path. And so what I did is just bring kind of the URL concept to native. And so if you want to use Solito, what you're doing is there's no more screen name navigation. It's all now using URLs. And I I find that that's just a much simpler mental model. And how does it work? Like, is is the idea that you, if I have an app that both lives on web with React and mobile with React Native, I'm, I can then 
share the same URLs and they'll work in both and kind of deep link into the mobile version of the app or or like what's the yeah what's the ideal use case yeah it's it's weird actually it's a lot simpler than that the way it works is you create a let's say you create a screen this is kind of what I uh, the way I view the description of how you should code this is your components are like your screens are your primitives right so you might have a home screen a dashboard screen a search screen those are your primitives and then your platform is your skeleton. So in this case, if you're using Next.js, the pages folder is, is your skeleton, right? Whenever you create a screen, you just export it from your pages folder. If you're using React Router, you create sort of, you know, you're, you use Router and you use these components to, to render. That's sort of your skeleton. So on React Native, you have a component-based skeleton, basically, that looks a lot like React Router, if you've ever used that before. So the way you use Solito is you create this screen component. And under the under the hood, you're using you're coding with React Native components, which render on the web just like a div. So you could write a view and import that from React Native. And if you render that on the website, it just uses a div under the hood. So you can actually use React Native on web. And so the second piece is how do you go from page to page? Like does the mobile app speak to the website? Like how does that work? The way it actually works is you you don't actually have any communication between the app and website. They don't know each other exists. You're not like inserting a website in an app or anything like that. There's no web views. What you're actually doing is you're taking the shared screen component and on Next.js or whatever kind of web platform you're using, you just export that. And then on React Native, you also export it. And so the missing piece is just telling each platform, how do you go from a URL to a certain screen? So on Next.js, the URL to a certain screen is solved with the pages folder. And on React Native, you do this thing called a linking config. It's a React navigation API, where instead of having a pages folder, you create this variable and you just say, if someone gives me this URL, go to this screen. If someone gives me this other URL, go to this other screen. And so each platform has to basically know, given a URL, which screen do I go to? And then that screen itself is shared across both apps because you have a monorepo. So in the future, I actually want to add a pages folder to React Native to give it perfect feature parity with Next.js. And above all, to give us one source of truth for what our URLs should resolve to. But for now, you basically take the same component and export it in a different way in each platform. And so um, what's like the future of, of Solito? So you've kind of built this functionality. Is it First of all, I guess, is it is it launched? Is it out there? Are people using it or is it still work to do? And then I'm curious kind of what you see as the next steps. So it is launched. It actually, I, I launched it on Twitter a few weeks ago. It actually reached number three on the front page of Hacker News, which I was pretty oh, surprised by. Congrats, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no, it, it got, a, I think it was something like 12,000 uniques within a few hours after that. So that was, that was pretty crazy. Um, it's, it has been getting a good amount of usage. So the way this kind of all came about for me was in November, I spoke at Next.js.conf about how we built a BGIG app using React Native with Next.js. And from there, a good amount of people had sort of interest in the stack and were like, oh, I, you know, I would like to build with this too. What, what, what do I have to do? And so we, I made like an example monorepo with a few other people. And then the biggest question, there's this, like, there's this giant pull request with you know, hundreds of comments almost on this monorepo I made after the talk of like, how do I handle navigation? Like, okay, I got this cool Expo and Next.js app working, but like the navigation is so different. How do I do this? So I, I launched this a few weeks ago. I've been thinking about it for like a year at least. And the real work came like from November after this talk when 
a ton of people were kind of coming being like, how do I actually use this stack in production? And yeah, I just had like an itch to solve that. And so I tried a few different solutions. Um, it would be a bit technical to kind of describe them all, but I ultimately decided on on this. And so it's now live. We're actually using it at BeatGig. I've tested it out on a bunch of like, you know, mini apps. There are some other companies that are fully adopting it. I've even heard of some companies kind of rewriting their entire navigation stack to use this. Um, it's it's pretty exciting. And I I was definitely a, a bit surprised by the reception it got. I thought it was going to be a bit more like of a, it feels very niche to me, but it seems like there's definitely a desire to be able to, you know, be a web dev and code a great app or be a, you know, React Native developer and be able to code a website without too much extra effort. Yeah, for sure. And would this work? I, I imagine the answer is yes, but if you're using React Native Web, you could use the same paradigm and you could use Solido, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So React Native Web, for those who don't know, is basically a library that under the hood lets you import components from React Native and use them on the web. So it's actually a pretty good library, even if you're just building a website. In fact, when I build websites, I just use React Native now. Because React Native Web is a very uh, accessible set of components that do a lot of the boilerplate that CSS and web apps do get incorrectly. So it has a much simpler, predictable styling system than CSS, but it all compiles down to, or under the hood, it all uses React OM and normal React code. So in general, I, th I think it's a pretty good thing to, to use, even if you're just making a website. And so yeah, Solido is using, is leveraging the React Native Web. Uh, paradigm whenever you're building for a website. Got it. And so now that we've kind of talked about Solito a bit, how did you get into BeatGig or what is BeatGig? Um, how, did, how did you kind of uh, decide to start building that and tell us a bit about what you're working on? So BeatGig is a marketplace for booking artists. You can think of it kind of like Airbnb for live music. We have a few thousand artists on the platform, anything from DJ Khaled or Kesha to some local bar bands. And so you open the app, you sign up, You once you get approved for an account, you can actually browse the prices to book any artist for a live event. It's, it's the only place where you can actually see how much it costs to book all these artists. So it might be for a wedding or you know a any kind of private event. But recently, our, our largest growing customer has actually been restaurants, nightclubs, and bars. So we've been getting more into the B2B space. So you know, we, we now power basically the careers of many artists who want to find better ways to get booked, want to manage their bookings and their taxes and getting receiving payments. And for the bars, it's the same thing where you know, we're helping them discover new acts, we're managing their entire calendar, we're helping them you know, get all their taxes settled with the artists and things like that. So f fundamentally, that's kind of the, the flow for users. And I, yeah, I think it's, it's been a, a few years now of, of working on this one, and it's been growing quite a, quite a bit recently. Yeah, that, that's, that's super cool. And I'm, I'm curious, like, before BK existed, if I, you know, let's say I, I want to hire Kesha to perform at my wedding, um, how would that have worked? Like, would I just have to find her agent and figured that out myself. Like what was the process before BK? Yeah. Yeah. It's a kind of a disaster, honestly. You have to try to find the agency, email them, hope you get pointed to the right rep. And then like who knows what you're supposed to do now, right? Like what is the contract supposed to look like? Are they going to take me seriously? The biggest problem people will have trying to book an artist 
is that no one wants to have their time wasted. People might not respond to you, or if they do, like who knows if they're giving you a fair price, right? Like this is kind of the benefit of these websites and marketplaces that are giving a lot of price transparency and also just adding a le- level of legitimacy. So it would be pretty complicated, just the contractual side, like who should you talk to? And then the ma- is it the manager or the agent? Like how do you compare if this price is good? What if this artist isn't available after you know a few weeks of work? What, how, how do you get to someone else? That's another common case that we have. Um, so yeah, t- it took a few years to kind of abstract that all into an app, obviously. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's an industry that has a reputation of being kind of shady and kind of very not transparent. So I think it's pretty fun to, to build for. And do you take on some of the risk of like, like Airbnb, if something goes wrong, they kind of make, I think they kind of make either party whole if, if, you know, if the host, if the experience isn't as described, you get your money back as a guest. And if the guest destroys the place, there's some, you know, uh, compensation for the host, I think. Do you take on some of that risk in terms of like making sure both parties get a fair deal and if something goes wrong, helping out? I mean, we do have pretty good insurance. I I can't say that we, yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily take on all of the risk for the event itself, but what we do do is provide basically the entire service you need to make sure the contract is just like very favorable to both parties, very fair. Um, something like really good that we add in general to what we call a buyer, someone who wants to book a, an event is, first of all, we'll handle the contracting for you. Like we'll help you walk you through all of it. Um, and above all, we're, we're going to add a level of legitimacy. Like we don't go to agents without you know, an offer that they know is legit. So whenever like beat gig comes to you as an agency, like we have deals with all of them, they know this is a solid offer. Um, and so the other thing we kind of bring to the buyers on the risk side is like, we have seen which artists you should and shouldn't book. And so we also provide sort of this level of, uh, you know, we have reviews and things like that, but we also have kind of a, a nudging of, you know, th- these acts are going to maybe do as they say, these ones won't. And you can kind of, you know, learn from that. And so that's, that's, it, it's really kind of all solved by this sort of marketplace problem in general. Um, but we also have, you know, pretty good contracts for handling all the the risky scenarios that, that could come out. And so tell me a bit about the tech side of things. Um, you know, do you, is, is it, I think it's a website, is there an app as well? Tell me about some of the architectural technical decisions you made. Yeah. So we're, a website. We also have an app on on the App Store. I'm actually shipping an update in the next, you know, probably a few hours for it. Um, so that that sort of was the initial idea. We we still to this day actually have we're, we're a team of ten currently, and we're going to be hiring a lot more people over the coming months. But only two of us are actual engineers. Only two of us build product. Uh, my co-founder and I. So he does all the back end, and I do all the front end. And we've been able to you know scale our website and app using just the two of us. Um, so we'd been building together since YC and the technical decisions were always kind of trying to stay nimble. I think that's like something we learned a lot in YC is like being very self-sufficient, being able to build fast, just the two of us. And so all the time we're thinking like, what is the right abstraction for this? How will we be able to build this again in the future? Is this the right way? You know, can we build this just the two of us without ever trying to like reach to hire a bunch of people quite yet to build product? And so we can also, you know, keep runway to hire other operations people. And so our app, you know, of course, is built with React Native and the website is too. And almost all of our code is shared 
And so that was kind of a big piece for us is being able to do that seamlessly. And we've gone through a lot of iterations with how the front end and the back end communicate. We started out using REST, our, our back end is with Python. And so what we did is we have a open API Swagger integration on the back end, which for someone who doesn't know, it's kind of like a GraphQL for REST situation. It takes your backend endpoints and generates a schema, and it also lets you share types from you know Python and TypeScript or across any languages really. So that's pretty nice. We had shared types across platforms. I didn't. I'd never had to write like fetch slash users slash whatever. It's we had a code gen library for every single endpoint. Super convenient. We recently switched to uh, GraphQL, so I've been kind of shifting things that way. And for our search, we use Algolia. What have your thoughts been on GraphQL? Like, are you happy you made the the switch from REST? Yeah, I think it's been. I think it's unlocked a lot for me doing the front end because I used to have this. We were using DGraph for our actual. Or sorry, we were, we were using DGraph and now we're trying out EdgeDB. Just two like kind of new databases. Um, DGraph was a graph database, and I think EdgeDB is like on top of Postgres. Um, I don't. I don't know exactly how the database side works, but I have really liked switching to GraphQL. Um, there's, I'm using URQL on the front end, which is like a, an Apollo competitor, basically. It And so we have a library that takes in all my queries and generates a set of hooks. So I have like a use user hook and like use dashboard query hook, things like that. What I like about GraphQL is I can like really express what I want to do from the front end and just get the fields I want. And our database is fast enough to allow very nested fields on many objects at once, things like that. Whereas with REST in the past, I would have to do like, okay, first get the user. And then once I have the user ID, all right, now I can do things with that user. Like if the user is a buyer, I can fetch their venues. If the user is a seller, I can fetch their artists. But in, now I can just express that all in one query. And for different screens, I can just write which fields I want. So I found it just kind of makes me less reliant on the backend. Like in the past, when we were using REST, I had to tell my co-founder, Hey, can you make this endpoint for me? And it's like, oh, this one's not going to be that fast. Let me make this smaller one. It's like, oh, images are actually bloating because it. And it's like, I don't know all these considerations, but I'm kind of offloading some of that time of having to go back and forth. So I, I definitely liked the improved GraphQL abstraction. And in term, do you use Solido um, with BGIG? Yeah. So previously, I actually used another library I'd made called Expo Next React Navigation. So it's the same idea, same navigation between Expo and uh, Expo, which is React Native, between Expo and Next.js. And so that's mostly what our app actually uses. But I've been transitioning it all over to Solido. I, I've the tricky part is BeatGig as a, as an app. We have like hundreds of screens now. Like this is a massive product, and I have basically used it as the playground to test so many different navigation possibilities. Like I built like a whole modal. Uh, manager for Next.js, like tons of things. And so we are using Solido now, but I have a ton of almost like legacy code from all these other things I've I've tried, which led me to, to build Solido ultimately. But um, most of the, ex the existing navigation code is using Expo Next React Navigation, which is sort of my first version of this, this whole uh, stack. And not as catchy a name. No, so yeah, like, I, I did right. <laughs> it's it's a it's a lot more boring. <laughs> descriptive, but maybe yeah, not yeah. As, uh, doesn't doesn't slip off the tongue as easily. Yeah, not quite. Um, so I'd be curious to learn about 
you know, some of your other projects aside from BKIG and Solido, um, you know, obviously Expo Next, React Native, um, any others that, you know, you want to, you want to talk about today? Yeah, definitely. So I built a number of libraries over the last few years, all with a sort of a similar thesis of it should be easy to build cross-platform apps. They should render and feel the way users expect on a given platform. So in the Solido case that we've been talking about, you know, navigation should feel like an iOS app if you're building for that. It should feel like a website on the website. And you should be able to use the same code every time. So the first library I built for this kind of stack after I built Expo Next React Navigation was called Dripsy. So Dripsy is a set of UI primitives, unstyled UI primitives. It's basically theme UI for React Native. Theme UI is kind of like a tailwind alternative or like styled system. It's um, a bit less, like I guess, known as, as tailwind, but I'd use that on plain React websites before. So in plain terms, Dripsy is a library that lets you build theme-based UI that works on web and native, and it also allows responsive design. So what's cool about this is you define all your responsive styles based on screen size rather than what people might do like platform. So in the past, people would do like, if I'm on a website, show this UI. If I'm on the iPhone app, show this UI, whenever they were building with React Native. Because React Native doesn't have media queries. So there's no kind of like at media uh, API that people are used to with CSS. So I had to figure out a way to like bring that feature into native apps so it works on iPhones and iPads. And then as a result, it also works on websites. So that's kind of what we use for all of our responsive design. It's kind of the first question I always would get like a year ago, like, oh, you're building for React Native and websites. Like, how do you do responsive design? Now there are a lot of, you know, since I I was very public about like how annoyed I was that this, this didn't exist at the time, there are a lot of cool libraries that exist for this now. Like Shopify has one called Restyle. There are many Tailwind for React Native and web libraries um, that, are, that are pretty cool. But that, that is, that's Dripsy. So that's the, the first one. Cool. And any others you want to cover? Yeah. So the other one would be Modi. So Modi is a, inspired by Framer Motion. It's basically an animation library that works on iOS, Android, and web. Again, all with the same API. It borrows a lot of the Framer features. Like you just create a component. You can pass it you know, your initial state. You can pass an animate prop. Whenever that changes based on React state or anything else, it'll automatically animate for you. And what's nice is under the hood on React Native, it uses this library called React Native Reanimated, which is a little bit more of a mouthful. And that's a really cool library. It, it basically allows you to write your animations in JavaScript, but perform them all on the native thread. So you can animate any sort of property you want, and it's all at 60 frames. And this is a pretty revolutionary thing for React Native. In the past, you could only do like opacity and scale, basically, and like opacity and transforms so that would be fast. And even then, they sort of had their bottlenecks. But what Modi lets you do in React Native is just drop in one component and you can fade it in. Uh, you can do like presence animations, so you can you know animate when a component unmounts, like frame or motion, things like that. Cool. Um, I'm curious. You know, you, it seems like you've had a bunch of these cases where you you encounter a problem and then you decide to build the tool to solve it. Um, any you know, if you had unlimited time, any other ideas kicking around for like tools or libraries that you you know, like to build. If, yeah, uh, <laughs> all the time. I mean, it's. I guess it's. It's a bit hard to like say it off the top of my head, but like really, really all the time. I think one big missing thing in general is an actual unified API across platforms. As it, so, if I'm thinking like an open source project, not really like a dev tools company, 
even Solito, like it solves this cool, this good problem and it lets you, like, I think for, for right now, it's like really interesting and I guess considered revolutionary. But if I could do everything I really wanted to with without sacrificing my time, I think it would seem very trivial what it achieved. I would like to have one framework that works on every single platform, like, and is native to each one. I think Expo has some ambitions to build this where it's also great for web and and, and native, but everyone kind of has their own separation of concerns. You know, some companies are really focused on the web. Some are really focused on on iOS and Android. Um, I think there are a few things that are just very separate, like layout animations, which are great on Framer and are great with reanimated kind of, but they just don't work super well with the same API cross platform. So if I want to make an element, you know, transition things like that, shared element transitions are very difficult. It's also just difficult on like with React Native. There's no real performant way currently to do shared element transitions as you open different screens. So just as I'm thinking like narrow about BeatGig and like what my desires are to make the user experience better, those are the kinds of things I I want to have. Um, I think I'm always surprised by how underappreciated the fact is that you can use the same code on both platforms. Like I think it's people are really starting to come around to it now because a lot of these problems like animation and responsive design and navigation are getting solved. But to me, it always just seems so obvious. It's just it wasn't quite there yet. So I think we still need a few things like this to really unify the API and let you leverage the best of both worlds. Like you shouldn't really need a monorepo. You should be able to just have one folder that, you know, you just single API and it and it does the right thing on on each platform. So that's kind of the the thing I'd love to have. And with is the idea like so, so like one of the the uh concerns I often hear when people talk about the the promise of kind of write code, have it run on any platform, is that each platform has its own um, kind of design language or patterns or paradigms. You know, iOS does things a certain way, Android does things a certain way, and, and web is kind of, web I feel like is less opinionated, but there are yeah. kind of established patterns. And so would you imagine a way to to solve that or, or be, still be res- like be respectful of each platform's kind of um, design patterns? I think this is probably the most important piece, and it's and it's what every attempt at this in the past has gotten wrong. And I think it's why Solito, the way it's structured now, can work. So I have a, a whole kind of piece on this in the Solito uh, docs describing what we do and what we don't do. And like you were saying, each platform kind of has its own styles. You know, like on an iOS app, you have this like form sheet modal, and on web, you have usually no page transitions, things like that. I think it actually is not that hard to let each platform have its own designs and things like that, as long as you just abstract at the right layer. So in our case, you know, uh, when we create a navigation stack, it renders as a native Android stack and an Android and a native iOS stack. And then on web, there's no stack at all. It just renders a page. And so I just think it, 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 what's important is to get the right layer of abstraction at each sort of step. And the other thing is, React Native is an interesting technology because it's basically just taking, it's just using React. And I think what's nice about React is it is expressive enough to build any UI, really. Like, I actually think React Native is like the right UI layer for any platform, a TV, a computer, or whatever. Um, The challenge is just getting it up to par with native performance and letting you easily kind of do the same thing across platforms. So in general, what what, what I kind of think about this is People are going to expect different things on different platforms. And it's like, you really need to make sure that you don't try to 
make an Android app look like an iOS app or a website or anything like that. And so anytime I find myself writing like, if platform is web, do this. If platform is iOS, do that. Anytime I do that, I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity to write an open source library. Because, and that's kind of like where it's happened every time. And so I think it's actually pretty possible to still achieve this sort of native feel for each platform you're on. As long as like there's a library in between you and the UI layer that, you know, does that that side for you. Well, Fernando, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to learn about Solito and Beekig and all of your other projects. I'm very excited to see uh, what else you build in the future. For folks out there who want to learn more about anything we talked about today, we will put um, we can put links in the episode description to any or all of these projects. But anything else you recommend? You know, if if people want to to learn more about your work. The easiest way to keep up with my work is probably to follow me on Twitter. It's mm. at Fernando the Rojo. I, I post a lot on on Twitter about this stuff, usually as as I'm working on it, and it's just like a fun place to share progress. And the other place, honestly, might be on GitHub. Like if you follow me on GitHub, and just like there's some people out there who sort of subscribe to all the these repos because I post a lot on issues and pull requests of just like random ideas I've had. So. You know, like I, I the, the idea for Modi came up from just a long issue I wrote on Dripsy. So if you want to kind of chime in and, and be part of the stack, yeah, just follow me, I guess, on Twitter and on GitHub. Oh, and I'll be speaking at uh, AppJSConf about Solido in two months. Great. Well, thanks again. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.